Welcome to Church is Messy with Rick Henderson. In each episode of this podcast, we will examine and discuss some of the difficult, challenging, and often messy topics associated with church and Christianity and our faith. Whether you are curious, skeptical, and unsure about Jesus, or new to church, or maybe even a longtime devoted follower, this podcast is designed to bring the message of the gospel to the everyday messes of life. Hello, and welcome back to the Church is Messy podcast. I am Svea Mary, and I am delighted to be joined today, not just with Rick Henderson, but also Pastor Otis Hall. Otis, we appreciated your message for week two of our Neighboring series, and it's great to have you here to talk a little bit more about it today. Yeah, I'm so excited to spend some more time digging into Zacchaeus and what it means to be in community. It's it's my heart. It's what God shaped me to do. Well, that came out very clearly, and and I loved hearing how in-depth you were able to go into the Zacchaeus story. Um, first question for you, one of the thoughts I had as you were talking about Zacchaeus, it sounded like you knew him, like he had become kind of a friend of yours as a result of all the study you did. How did your perceptions of Zacchaeus change for all of the hours that you spent researching his story and thinking about him and, and his, his own story arc? Yeah, I would say I definitely think I had that that normal view of Zacchaeus coming at it from a story that I rarely spent any time in and didn't really think about, but then to sort of dig into his life and understand that that he had some skewed thoughts about how to live his life in community and, and where his authority and identity come mm-hmm. from, and that drove his actions for, for that. And I love all the richness you, you drew out, what his name meant, uh, which is innocent or pure, and he's short in stature, so he's a little innocent and a town that's cursed. There's a lot of imagery that it's, we're not implying that it's not a real historical event yeah. from the life of Jesus, but Luke did a fantastic job of weaving in stuff that's easy for us to miss. Will you highlight a couple of those things for people who are listening? Yeah, I think the the big one for me, as, I, as you heard in the summary, was the innocent and pure thing. It plays out in just about every aspect of his life, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it just... He was short in that when he was thinking about making himself a big man in mm-hmm. his in his life with his job. He he mm-hmm. paid to go and make himself a big man. It wasn't like it just somebody came and asked him to do that. Mm-hmm. He was seeking a way to get outside of what the community would have seen him as. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I kept thinking to Svea's point that it short in those days must have been really short because these are not big people. (laughs) Okay. All right. So I don't want to overplay this. So just kind of react to this in the moment. We haven't talked about this ahead of time. I don't, I don't think, but we're all watching. Many of us are watching the news right now and we're seeing the tragic events that are playing out. Um, in, in Europe, especially between Russia and Ukraine. Let's fast forward it several years mm-hmm. ahead, and let's just say it's the war is over. Russia has now completely occupied the nation of Ukraine, um, and they're governing every aspect of it. Is it fair to say that Zacchaeus would be like a Ukrainian citizen who paid the Russian government for the right to collect taxes from his fellow Ukrainians to take money from them and give to the people who took over their country? Is that essentially what's happening? Yeah, that's essentially what's happening. That's exactly what Zacchaeus mm-hmm. would have done. He would have, he would have looked for a way to profit for himself against his own people. So mm-hmm. he's a little guy. Yep. And so small man. Uh, small in innocence, but he's the chief or the biggest tax collector. It's fascinating. I mean, people who think that the, there's not much to the Bible or it's just medieval, it's not medieval, but it's a Stone Age book written by shepherds. There is genius authorship in um, 
incredible literary devices that are woven in all throughout both the Old and New Testament. And if you just assume it's not there, you are missing out on the richness of this book. Yeah, I kept playing in my head all the things that it may have triggered in people in that time's mind, all mm-hmm. of the things that would say short, little, like mm-hmm. there's, there's, we all fall short, right? All of us fall mm-hmm. short of the kingdom of God. All of that stuff played in mm-hmm. my head as I was digging into this moment. And I was like, we miss all that because we read it in a translation that doesn't give us the depth of the knowledge that they wove through mm-hmm. scripture. It was, well, and particularly if the only real affiliation we have with Zacchaeus and his story is from the Sunday school song, we yeah. miss all of that detail. Yeah. Well, let me just say, and I know that I'm speaking for probably everybody who was here or online. I watched the message online because I was on, I was on vacation. Um, but I really appreciate the time that you took to to research and to and to put that together so that we could see all that you were able to see. No, that's a that's a tremendous gift. I wanted to just circle back to something you said. You were bringing out the beauty of the literary richness of mm-hmm. this story. But to be clear, this wasn't a made-up story. No, this was a that, historical we're saying, event. We're not saying that it's a made-up story. This is a real historical event, but it's told well. It Absolutely. And, and key details are emphasized so that we can see uh, all that God wants us to understand, not just, about, uh, not just about Zacchaeus, but also about ourselves, so we can better appreciate Jesus and worship Him and respond to Him. Yeah, yeah and, and Otis, you had a, a, a technique in the message of encouraging us to see where we find ourselves in this story, utilizing what Jesus often did when he would tell a parable in, in causing the listener to figure out where you identify. I'm just, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your thought process in that. Again, you weren't implying that this wasn't a real story, but, uh, but to employ this idea of identifying yeah. with the characters of a yeah, story. I think Luke did what a researcher or a doctor would do. He gave us facts to make us understand that this was a real person. This isn't someone who's generic. He he gave us his name and and things about him that just made us understand who this person was and could see him. He wasn't just some beggar on the side of the road. He was a real man, and this was a real instance in his life. And so just sort of thinking through each one of those steps and trying to feel how I felt, right? Thinking of the mistakes that I may have made in my life or that were going on around me that that separated me or made me feel even more outside of the group than I do as an, as an introvert anyway. Mm. But I think it just, if you really take the time to to hear the story, to, to, to think about how it plays out in our own lives, you, you can't miss yourself in those mm. moments. Mm. It is... It is the richness and the genius of what Jesus did with parables. So which of the characters did you most identify with? All of them. Mm. Even Jesus? I, I would never say <laughs> I would never say that I was Jesus, but yeah. I would say that I aspire to be like that with people, right? There you go. Good answer. So I, I think you've got a follow-up question for this, but I find myself, okay, as I'm listening um, and seeing it, um, really, I think through an enriched perspective that you provided uh, this weekend, I could see how I'm how I'm Zacchaeus, and I could also see how how I'm the crowd. Um, and it was fascinating to really think about how. Okay, so Zacchaeus didn't care about his community; he cared about what he could get from them, but his community didn't care about him. Which came first? I don't know, mm. but it's there, right? Um, and. My goodness, what are, and this is a question that you were asking earlier. Think about the people who didn't care to help Zacchaeus, who squeezed him out. You know, they're in the way between him and Jesus. What are some ways that we do that? 
What are some ways that maybe we don't do it on purpose, but we unintentionally do that? Yeah, I think we we do that more than I think we know we do. When we, we create these insular moments where people kind of have to figure out a way to force themselves into the group instead of us always being open to new ideas and new people and people who are different than us, we create these spaces where we feel safe, mm-hmm. where people are like us, they think like us, they... They go to church like us. They right? These are the spaces where we feel free to be mm-hmm. who we want to be. Mm-hmm. And then there are all these people on the outside that may be wanting to be part of that and don't know how to get in. Mm-hmm. So can I tell a story that's kind of like this, but maybe not a lot about <laughs> this? Can we, trace, can we chase a rabbit trail? Is that okay? Go for it. <laughs> all right. So I went to seminary in New Orleans, and New Orleans is known for fantastic food. Um, and there are some restaurants that were famous for a particular dish, barbecue shrimp. Have you guys ever had barbecue shrimp? Yeah. It's And it's not like a peeled shrimp that you throw on the barbecue. It's like the whole shrimp. And for the longest time, I ne- I always wanted it, but I never ordered it because I felt too insecure to say, I don't know how to eat this. Oh. And, I, and, I need, and I need help. It wasn't until I went to this really great restaurant and the waitress said, have you ever had barbecue shrimp? And I said, no, I haven't. She said, well, let me show you how to how to eat it. And I'm like, okay, I feel safe now because it's like all part of the the show of the restaurant. And I wasn't put on display for my for my ignorance. And basically my cause for insecurity was was taken away. And I've been in church my whole life. And I just I was born, I was literally born on a Sunday. The very next Sunday my mom had me in church. And I've missed just a handful of Sundays over over the course of my life. And there are probably some things about what we do that I love, that I cherish, that you guys love and cherish. And for someone who's new, they just don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And what are where can we put in energy and effort to make it easier for them to engage and not make them feel like, well, you got to figure it out. And the metaphor. Like, I didn't like, want to be the dummy who didn't know how to eat the shrimp, <laughs> and I needed somebody to show me how to peel mm-hmm. the shrimp. Um, I want to peel the shrimp for people. Yeah, I think that's a that's a beautiful example. I think we need to be the people who help them get in the door, right? It's, we need to, on Sunday morning when new people are here, be the people who go across and have conversation with them and ask mm. them what it is that made them feel uncomfortable today or mm-hmm. how was service today or how can I help you get better connected in what we're doing here and in the community space. We we often clump together at church on Sunday morning with people who we know, mm-hmm. right? We go see our friends, we say hi to our friends, mm-hmm. and all of these new people show up on Sunday morning and they feel lost. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're in that same vein of the example of eating shrimp. I, I have no idea. Do I sing? Do I not sing? Do I leave and go eat or do I just leave? Like, I don't know what's going on. And we have to be the bridge for them mm-hmm. so that they can be part of our family and not some stranger who wandered into our wedding. So now, what would you say? It's it's likely that the people in the crowd, they were pretty excited to see Jesus, and they really weren't at all concerned with giving a chance to this tax collector. But how, when we look at our own church experience, when we come to church on the weekend and we're hungry for spiritual food and we're looking to see Jesus ourselves, what do you say to the person that says, I just need this myself. I don't have the bandwidth right now to be proactively looking out for someone else. And, uh, you know, this is my opportunity to be fed. What what kind of a mindset do we need to have to be looking for the needs for other people to see Jesus beyond just our own need? I, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a story. Like Rick, when we, we were young, we lived overseas in Saudi Arabia and we came home right? and 
And we really weren't outsiders, but we were outsiders. We had mm. no idea how to do church the way that we do here, because church for us was our house and our front door was always open and whoever drifted in became part of church, whether mm. they were Christian or Muslim or whatever, they just came in the door and we came home and there were all these things that I was supposed to know. and. I had no idea what to do. Mm. And there were all these people who were lost in worship and singing and praising, and I didn't know what to do, and it felt really weird. Mm. But the, I think the moment for me where church became church was when those people decided it was more important for me to understand what God was doing in this moment than it was for them mm. to, to get what they needed for the day. Mm -hmm. Because the joy for us and our mission is to help people be fully devoted followers of Jesus, and you find joy in that moment. I think sometimes we get lost in the idea that we have to always focus on our relationship up and down with Jesus when the, there's joy in just helping people find that space for themselves. Mm -hmm. and, and that fills you up in a way that's different than singing and raising your hands. There's there's so much joy in bridging this gap. For yeah, say more about that, because I think something you're touching on gets to the heart of discipleship. When we are actually filled up in our own spiritual practices by seeking to make it easier for someone else to experience that too. Is, is that what you found in your ministry? Yeah, I think that that's definitely it. I think we also learn more as we help other people and teach other people and help other people grow. You have to dig deeper. Your relationship gets gets deeper with Jesus, and and it's such a beautiful thing to watch somebody open their hearts and their minds to what God is going to do in their lives and in the lives of the people that they then are going to touch. Mm. Can I speak to a tension that some people might be feeling? Sure. Mm. So some folks might be thinking, it kind of feels like I have to pick. Sometimes it just gets to be me and God, and then sometimes it's got to be me helping somebody else, and it's which one? And and I recognize there sometimes that people are going to come and sometimes I'm going to come and it's just like, I am, my needs are so heavy and I'm, and I'm, and, and, and I'm kind of in a place I don't have the bandwidth mm -hmm. to care about somebody else. And I need to be cared for people need permission, but if that's your lifestyle, something is, so, something needs to be addressed. If that's the, if that's the lifestyle, if that's the weekend and week out experience. But by and large, on your average weekend uh, worship service, whether you're coming on Saturday night or Sunday morning, does it have to be one or the other, or can it be both and? And how is it both and? Mm -hmm. I think the both and is definitely a richer experience. Mm -hmm. It's it's certainly that what we were talking about last week, but the concept of loving God and loving our neighbor as we allow God to pour into us individually, we then have that to be able to share with others, and, and that's the greatest commandment right there. I mean, we worship corporately in this space, and so part of worshiping corporately is to be connected to the people who are around you. And mm -hmm. it's a simple thing to, mm -hmm. to stop with your doing and speak to the person in front of you or next mm -hmm. to you. They begin to feel more comfortable in the space with the simplest of connection that they mm -hmm. may not have had all week long. Mm -hmm. No one may have shaken their hand, no one may have hugged them, no one may have even spoke to them mm -hmm. all week long. And if we build that bridge into this moment, they are far more comfortable to relax relax and be involved with what we're going to do on Sunday night or Saturday or Sunday morning. Mm. Well, yeah. Some of that gets to the reason why we do worship 
corporately, why we worship with other people rather than just worshiping on our own. I think sometimes the concept of having a personal relationship with Jesus can uh, lead us into a, a lack of awareness of the importance of having a relationship with Jesus in community. So for the past year or so, I've spent a lot of time uh, reading in 1 Corinthians, especially 1 Corinthians 14. And so this is what's the backstory of what's going on in 1 Corinthians 14, is that I don't know how many people are in the room, um, but uh, but enough people in the room um, that there's a crowd, enough people in the room uh, that there are people who are there who are not yet followers of Jesus, and they're inquisitive, and, and, and they're curious. And Paul's trying to give this church... Uh, rules or guidelines and wisdom for how to be together and the messiness that comes from mm. <laughs> being together, but to not lose order. And um, I've loved, I've, re- I've really loved digging into that chapter and, and reading about that. And I think it's helpful for us to remember, it's okay for churches allowed to be a little messy. It can't be disordered mm-hmm. and it can't be chaotic, but it would it can it should be the kind of place where we are considerate of and mindful of others and happy to take our preferences and place them beneath the needs of other people. It's not like we have to say, I'm worshiping God right now. I'll I'll come to you when I'm done with that. We can do this together and we're made for God as community. That's what that's what him being a trinity is all about. And I think our worship is enhanced when we are considerate of others and including others, not simply in the same room together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that that lends itself to that discussion of Ubuntu that we talk about, right? Mm. The, the interconnectedness is what mm. God created. It's how we emulate the image of God by by putting ourselves in a place where we are worried about our neighbor and their experience and their life. And if that means we give what we have, mm-hmm. That's what it means, and that's how we become complete. It's mm. not about the more I have, the more complete I am. It's about my neighbor and how how their needs are met and how the community is then fed and how we move forward together. It's it's the beautiful thing. And, and, and I think my African brothers and sisters would tell you that Ubuntu doesn't always mean peace either. So mm. it just... Talk a little bit more about is, that. There is always strife in community. People have different ideas and different thoughts, but the overarching drive is that the community will thrive. So at some point, we have to agree and move forward. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's just it's this deep understanding that we we all are built different. We all feel differently. Some of us meet more people than others, mm-hmm. but but collectively, we are better off mm-hmm. than we are if I just strive to get what I want all the time. What is it that makes us better off? I mean, the three of us are all introverts with social skills, but uh, but what would you say to the introvert that maybe says, I'm not sure I need a whole lot of community. I'm pretty satisfied and content on my own. What what are some of the, the reasons why it's so important for us to be in community? Yeah, I think um, when I was in the lab all those years ago, I used to tell people that I would be really happy to be by myself for 10 or 12 years by <laughs> myself in this lab. Um, but that's really not true. Like Even as an introvert, as a major introvert, I need community mm. to, to sort of give me a drive to move forward. I, I can be by myself. I can read all the time. But in order to really feel full, I feel more full when I'm with people. Mm. It just, it's just how God made us to be, be full, to see and filled his joy is to be around people and connected to people and helping people. Well, I, I appreciate that. As a fellow introvert, I, I enjoy alone time. But if I only think about community as in, do I need it or do I not need it or how much do I need? Where's my focus? 
Well, I'm starting with me. And Mm -hmm. listen, anybody who knows me knows it's really easy for me to start with me. Um, But community needs me too. And I need to be needed by by community. And and I need to contribute. And I need to love, depending on how you you count, if you count whether they're doubled up or not. I tend to go with 48, but there's 48 one another's in the New Testament. Love one another, greet one another with a holy kiss, uh, carry one another's burdens, forgive one another, and on and on and go. 48, um, that's me giving to others. That's a pretty big deal. Yeah. It's introverts and extroverts together. Otis, one of the the challenges that you gave in the message was for us to consider what kind of community, how many people do we have in our community beyond just our circle of friends? Why is that so important? Yeah, because it goes back to what we sort of talked about in the beginning. There are people who are seeking Jesus, and they may not even know that it's Jesus that they're seeking. But if we're only ever in relationship with people who know us and like us and are like us, those people never really get to see Jesus, or mm. they get to see a version of Jesus that is pretty selfish. Mm. Right? That means Jesus is only concerned about those people who are in this group. Mm-hmm. Um, and and really, we have so much more to share with the community that's around us than I think we give ourselves credit for. Mm. We have skills that need to be shared. We have gifts that have been given us that need to be shared. The community is enriched by us stepping outside and sharing what we have and giving it away freely as God gave it to us. It is, it is what we're meant to do. I can't mm. say but that But what, what about perspective as well? I think it, one of my favorite quotes comes from Augustine, and he said, the world is a book, and those who don't travel read only one page. Um, if he were here today, I wonder if he would say, if you don't get outside of your group, you're only reading one page. There's there's so much more to see when you're able to see it through the perspective of other people. And we're not talking about truth being up for grabs. We're not tra- talking about truth being sub- subjective. But what we're talking about is looking at reality from somebody else's perspective and, and understanding how they see the world. That can be tremendously helpful as well. Mm-hmm. So there you go. You got uh, Zacchaeus there. He's climbed up the, the tree. And... Jesus says, "I'm coming to your house for lunch." Do do you think what would what would the crowd have been thinking at that moment? Oh, they would have been upset, right? Why is he not wanting to spend time with me? Yeah, mm. like I, I showed up. I, I've been living the way that I'm supposed to. Why is he not hanging out with me? He's going to go hang out with this guy who didn't really care about his people. Do you think that the Do you think that there were people who were expecting Jesus to really just hand it to Zacchaeus? Yeah. I mean, just ream him. Because <laughs> if you read these encounters between Jesus and religious leaders, they're the only ones that he um, that, that he gets intense with, and typically they're the ones who are always picking a fight. But they're but they're the they're the only ones that Jesus will clap back at, and they're, they're the only ones that Jesus will sometimes even be snarky with. And so I can understand why somebody would think, man, Jesus is going to just let Zacchaeus have it. And there's not even any record of Jesus saying anything confrontational to the guy. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that they were they were more than hoping for. They knew this was the moment. Mm. That we we've known for a really long time that he is a professional unrepentant sinner. Mm-hmm. Like he could care less about us. A traitor. And that is antithetical to what Jesus teaches. So this is the moment somebody's going to finally put him in his place. What do you say to Christians kind of like Sfeia who are hoping that Zacchaeus is going to get condemned? <laughs> Thanks, Rick. 
<laughs> no, but I mean, for for those of us, seriously, not not that you you are not that way, but 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 for the thing, and it's just like, okay, great, okay, he and Jesus are. He has got this moment of repentance, and that's good. I just wish the the road to repentance was a little bit more painful for Zacchaeus. What do you say to people? What do you say to the, even the thing inside of me that kind of desires that? Let me have it. Yeah, I think I think I was in that moment when I was doing this study. I was like, you know, this is a little too easy, right? Mm. And there was this part of me, even still today, they're like, it's just should have been a little harder than just to decide to give his money away. Mm. But but it, it goes to what we learned about in Romans, right? That God does this to lead us to repentance too. Mm. That that love is the answer. I, I told you. Mm-hmm. Love God with everything you have. Love your neighbor as yourself. It doesn't matter how hard it is for them. Mm-hmm. The answer is still love. Mm. So let me just let you guys in on something that I've been thinking about lately, and I don't know that this is a complete thought, um, and there might be some passages that I need to study that I haven't given adequate uh, consideration to yet, but I've been trying to figure out, I know that God hates sin, and I know that Jesus is God in the flesh. Um, He is 100% divine. He just never seems mad at anybody. He never seems quick to want to condemn anybody. As a matter of fact, he seems eager, like he just cannot wait to give to give grace. Mm. All right, so hold that in one hand, and, I, and I'm just these these are unrefined thoughts that I have. Now, in the other hand, hold all the passages that we read. And I'm thinking about some Old Testament passages where it seems like God is storing up wrath, where He's holding it back, mm-hmm. and um, people have a chance to repent. They don't repent, and then they experience they experience judgment. We see that with the, with the Canaanites. That would that would be that would be one example. And so, if we want to know when we see Jesus, we see the Father. We really want to know what God is like. We need to better understand Jesus. All the Bible points to Jesus. It's all about Him. So this is this is kind of this is where I'm going. There's something about Him that seems eager and willing to hold back and store up wrath hoping that he gets to, I don't even know if hoping is the right word, but he'll hold back wrath and he's willing for it to mount up, mount up, mount up, and eventually all pour out on him on the cross. Mm. And he's never holding back love. He's always quick to give love, always giving love before people ask for it, certainly giving love when people don't deserve it. He's storing up the wrath, I'll take it, and quick to give love. It's not the other way around. And there is something inside of me that I'm not a big fan of. There's a there's this religious pharisaical monster inside of me that sometimes gets it backwards as though he's storing up love. And if you're good enough, or if I'm good enough, it's going to come. But it's the wrath and anger that's coming quick. And that is not how Jesus is. Mm. And we see that with Zacchaeus. He's just like, hey, let's go to your house. And there's there's no record of any confrontation, just love and kindness. And then Paul tells us later in Romans, don't you know, that's what it is that draws you to repentance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and I don't see to your point between what we see of Jesus, the few times that he did get a little salty with the religious leaders and mm-hmm. things like that, 
and also the wrath that we see expressed in the Old Testament, it's not typically directed at a person, but typically directed at the thing that is taking that person away from God. At Great observation. The sins that yeah. we commit, the mm-hmm. the things that we turn to instead of God. And and so even that wrath is still an expression of God's love. Mm. It's it's the I don't want you to hurt yourself mm. with the things that are taking you away from what is better for you. And yeah, one of my friends here at Autumn Ridge, he says, a good speaker knows his material. A great speaker knows his audience. And certainly, Jesus knew his knew his audience. And I think he knew how to speak the language that the Pharisees needed to hear. Mm. There's something that's I think often overlooked is so many of those guys became believers after the resurrection, they're in the church. And one of the reasons that there's so many problems and judgmentalism in the church is because all those, so many of those Pharisees are now Jesus followers and they're in the church and they're trying to, they're trying to figure it out. And they're, they're slow on their giving grace. Mm. Mm. Yep. Uh, I think that plays out in the crowd too. Surely he knew what was going to happen when he stopped at the tree with his man in it. Mm Mm-hmm. And was like, hey, I'm just going to leave you guys who are following me, and I'm going to go hang out with this dude. Mm. There was, there had to be a thought in his mind that these people are going to be really upset in this moment. Mm. But this is me showing you love that you should have shown to your brother in the first place. Mm. Is the bridge that I'm building between these two groups of people that are the same to me. Mm-hmm. I love you equally. And you've ostracized somebody who I love based on a decision that he made. I think that's a really important thing you just said, that that we can have this tendency of thinking we're the in crowd, the, the people who have the right relationship with Jesus and everyone else is on the outside of that, and how natural it is for us to build walls between us and others. But what you just brought out was that Jesus loves us both, that his love extends to all of us, and that we have a role to play to be building bridges, not building that wall what what kind of a mindset or perspective or or just practically speaking as we want to be people that do build bridges with other people to help them see Jesus what can we predecide to do this week that would allow us to do that well well there's probably more things to do than we have time to talk about but i would say you need to be open to the idea that your preconceptions about people are not actually truth Mm. because they're different than you, because they're from a different place, because they look different than you, and we have all of these things circling in our head, we exclude them immediately from being a person who would be interested in hearing about Jesus, much less seeking Jesus. And all of those walls have to come down, and we need to love people the way Jesus did, and stop in our day and have conversations with people who are in front of us. Mm. How we show love. So I uh, was recently um, in a place where I really didn't know anyone, and I'm an introvert, and I found myself thinking, I kind of wish somebody would approach me mm. and kind of just give me a little insight into what's going on here. I was in a, I was in a new place, and uh, I just thought that would have been that would have been nice. And for those of us who would say, Autumn Ridge, this is my church; these are my people. I think we should feel confident. And if we don't know someone, hey, I, you know, I haven't met you before. My name is Rick. Um, how long have you been coming here? Oh, today's your first time here. Are there any questions I could answer for you? Um, you know, I, I, I think people 
in the end, just appreciate kindness and friendliness. They and I don't think seen, we should be afraid. They want mm-hmm. to be seen as people. Yeah. Uh, not an object that's walking by. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I want to be seen and recognized as another human being that has value. Mm-hmm. That extends not just in the doors of our church, but outside in the community too. We walk past each other all the time, mm-hmm. everywhere we are, without even acknowledging our our, our presence to each other. Mm-hmm. How odd is that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A little bit ago, uh, my wife and I uh, were we we attended a, a, another church, and, and um, after the service was over, um, you know, said bye to the person sitting next to me, and I got up. And I noticed that everyone in the room. Well, this is the way that it felt. It may not be accurate, but let me just describe the way that it, the way that it felt. It felt like everyone turned and was talking to the people who they came with mm-hmm. or their friends. And I walked out, and as if no one cared, no one noticed. Mm-hmm. And I'm a pastor of a church. You know, I don't feel like I have a lot of needs. Um, you know, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm a guest, but. I felt like I kind of just needed somebody to acknowledge that I was there. Mm. It stung a tiny bit. It stung a tiny bit. I I think it's fair to acknowledge in a church of our size, particularly with having three different services that meet over two different days, that no one knows everyone and no one could be expected to know everyone. And so certainly you're going to see people that you don't know. And and I've certainly had the experience of, of... uh, building up all of my uh, introvert uh, power to go up to a stranger and introduce myself only to find out that they've attended Autumn Ridge for 20 years. <laughs> and mm-hmm. you feel a little silly. But uh, but I love the question that you suggested a little bit ago of just asking, how long have you attended Autumn Ridge? Yeah. Because that works whether it's their first visit or they have been here for 20 years. And yeah, we don't have to ask questions that have a built-in assumption. Yeah, you don't have to automatically imply yeah. you must be a visitor here because I don't know you. But it, it is a great conversation starter. Okay, so can we just have like a fun little imagination moment? Sure. Okay. Um, when we're in heaven, are we going to know everyone's names? Are we going to have that kind of knowledge? Are we, like, I don't think we're going to go up to anybody in heaven and be like, so how long have you been here? Like, you know what I'm saying? But it's like, tell me your story. Like, are we, are, are, am I going to have the opportunity to learn stuff about people and their experiences with Christ? And, and I'm why just they hoping love- in heaven you never forget someone's name. Well, that would be wonderful. Like, I hope that there are no name tags, right? And. <laughs> But it's like, do, like, do we get the joy of discovery? Mm-hmm. It feels like maybe we should, right? Yeah, and that would be we, exciting. If we're a church of 20 people, which there's nothing wrong with, um, then maybe you don't get that. But if you're in a church in our size dynamic, I think that should be seen as, as an enhancement, mm-hmm. not as a loss. Mm-hmm. And if we reframe it, I have the opportunity to meet so many more people who are on a journey with Jesus, then it becomes a privilege. And maybe we become a little less intimidated, those of us who are introverts, on on building building bridges. The extroverts are listening like, I have no idea what you guys are talking about. I've never met a stranger in my life, and I can just go up and talk to anybody. Yeah, Your I, daughter is that way. She is. She is an extreme extrovert. But I would say even those people who've been here for 20 years still want to be touched, right? They still want to be recognized. They still want to meet people. And so That's just a great because point. we have seen them here and we recognize them doesn't mean that they don't want or don't need to be seen. Mm. Right? Which gets back to the importance of community again. Yes. The community, the need for that is not just with new people, but with people that have been around and part of the group for a long time, too. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So kind of sounds like we're at a place where we're ready to, to land the plane. We just keep reaching out to people. We keep, we continually choose to find joy in being considerate of people around us and look for more people to know, look for more people to, to help and remember that it's us together, not just me by myself and my relationship with God. All right. Otis, thanks again. Appreciate it. Faye, do you have any last words? No, just appreciate your message, Otis. That was really good. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Church is Messy with Rick Henderson. Church is Messy is a registered trademark of Rick Henderson, and this podcast is produced by Robert Nash. Our sound engineer is Josiah Novinger. Our theme song is Bring It. Follow us on Instagram at ARC underscore R-O-C-H. Email us with any questions you might have or topics you would like explored in future episodes at churchismessy at autumnridgechurch.org. For more information on Autumn Ridge Church in Rochester, Minnesota, please visit us online at autumnridge.church. Thank you for listening. Thank you.